Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. On today's show, we're going to talk about airway health with Dr. Elizabeth Walker. I wanted to bring to everyone's attention the importance of airway health and the problems and the troubles that can happen, the challenges that can present when the airways of our children are blocked. I wanted to take a deep dive into this topic with Dr. Walker today. Dr. Walker is committed to her patients and continuing education. Dr. Walker has extensive experience diagnosing and treating TMJ disorders and craniofacial pain. She integrates the evaluation of awake and sleep disordered breathing into her patient care. Dr. Walker's mission is to provide her patients with the latest diagnostic technologies to identify the origin of symptoms to resolve pain, skeletal, dental, and breathing challenges. Dr. Walker has developed a network of practitioners surrounding her practice to encourage total body wellness. She works directly with a community of practitioners, including but not limited to sleep physicians, osteopaths, pediatricians, lactation specialists, primary care physicians, physical therapists, myofunctional therapists, general dentists, chiropractors, and facial release specialists. I'm really excited about getting to this interview. And so let's just get into it. Hi, Dr. Walker. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor to be a part of your your new exciting adventure here. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Um, Before I start, I always like to ask everyone how they got into this world of of biomedical health. And um, so what got you started? Oh, that, that's a great question, actually. Well, I, I, my father's an orthodontist, so I was interested in dentistry and, and orthodontics before um, I had any real understanding about the, the whole body. Um, but with that uh, step into orthodontics, the technology kind of led us into the next step of understanding airway and the whole how the whole body relates to it. We have a 3D imaging machine that um, is, it, it, we can see the entire airway from the edge of the tip of your nose all the way down to the base of your throat. But of course we got it so we could see teeth and where they relate and where they're, uh, you know, impacted this or that. We, would, we knew where we were gonna see everything, but we learned quickly that we're not only gonna see teeth, we're gonna see the entire airway. And as orthodontists, we're actually responsible for it. So it was a big change in the awareness of what we had already learned and had to unlearn a little bit of, but then to, to step into a new world um, of, of whole body care, really trying to find the origin of these, um, of these issues that people are suffering with all over the world. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. It was almost like a relearning, unlearning kind of journey, right? Um, and I definitely want to hear a lot more about this 3D machine that you have and, and what we can do. But I think just to take a step back, why is airway health important um for ah, okay well there's nothing more important to the body than breathing not one process that the body does is more important than taking this very next breath right here and then this one right here and the one following it so the body is always going to be checking for like a, a systems check and the breathing is going to be the number one number one priority that the body's checking out and on top of just breathing 
um, which is really all we learned about in school. We learned that you're either breathing or not. So in medicine and in dentistry, I think there's a, there's a, a void in this, um, in this uh, basic concept, but the body wants to use the nose to breathe, not the mouth. It's a great backup, that mouth, glad we have it, but it's really designed for us to talk and to eat and that's it. The nose, when we inhale, it warms and filters and moistens and sterilizes the air. There's a substance in our sinuses called nitric oxide, which um, when it hits the air, it's antifungal, it's antimicrobial, antibacterial and antiviral. So it's really the beginning of the immune system and the body knows it. And during our exhale is actually where the, um, blood oxygen exchange takes place. So that is where we wanna make sure that both it's inhale and exhale through the nose. The mouth is just where we get cold, dry, dirty, unfiltered air. And it should make sense, you know, just to kind of hint towards asthma or um, uh, respiratory, uh, lot frequent pneumonias and bronchitis types of things. If we're getting that cold, dry, dirty, unfiltered air into our lungs, we're really predisposed to have that inflammation and that usually leads parents and whatnot to think that it could be asthma, which it is, but what is asthma and where does it get there? You know, it's, it can definitely be a relationship to where we get our in and air, where we get our air in and out of our body. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I definitely did know that get, coming into this interview, there's going to be a lot of aha moments. And I think that's already one. Just the fact that we take, um, you know, just breathing through our nose for granted. Um, and then we always think it's okay if we, if we do a lot of like mouth breathing um, and that it's not going to really hurt us. And so we've got a lot of people with, with deviated septums, which, and then they insist that they can't breathe through their nose. So there's nothing they can do about it. But like the effect that that has on the whole body, and, and I heard you like refer to the, the, the microbiome. So like, you know, the bacteria in, in the nose, but that's something that we always talk about in a whole body experience. So it's not just that it's limited to the gut, but now there's some in your nose as well. Right. Exactly. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. The, the body is amazing. I mean, we are designed to be in a healing position all the time, every single um, process that we do, our body's designed to heal itself and to keep it in the most healthful manner possible. If we're ill, we're getting messages somewhere or other that something is off. And, um, and now, now my training is to always look at the breath first to see if that's something that anybody is struggling with. And we have to look at the nose and the entire throat because the airway is only as open as its narrowest point. Like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So it is really important. And you, and you touched on something too, that like, you know, people insist that they can't really breathe through their nose if they're, if they're sensing that, that symptom. But um, when we go to, to mention that to doctors, sometimes <laughs> it might be a little disappointing because they, like I said, they just don't quite understand yet. It's, it's a, it's a global frustration um, at the moment with ear, nose and throat positions, not quite knowing what um, how important the nose is and respect to all of them. And the ones, thank you, the ones that do understand it and the ones that don't please learn because um, it wasn't really highlighted for you in school. And there's so much more to it that we have to address. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And so how can, um, how can we start looking at these airway issues? What are identifiers or signs and symptoms that we should be looking at? 
That's a great question. And usually when we talk when, when we talk about breathing, we mention it through um, sleep breathing. Okay, we're the same, we're breathing day, we're also breathing at night, but we're awake and upright against gravity during the day. So that, and we don't snore during the day and apneics don't pause and gasp and breathe during, you know, struggle during the day. So it, it, a, a big signal for us is the way our breathing habits are, are at night. Um, if we're snoring, if we notice that we obviously, if anyone can um, corroborate any noises or mouth breathing or um, apnea, some gasping and pausing. But even if we're just using our mouth to breathe silently, there's an obstruction somewhere along that nasal passage and problems um, both systemically and structurally can, can follow that. So um, it's a, that's a kind of a good window into seeing if there's labored breathing in general, but rest assured, if there is a, an, a, 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 a nighttime breathing issue, there's also a daytime one too. We just go into compensatory postures and we pull harder through our nose so that it's not so um, loud and uncomfortable during the day. It's, it's <laughs> interesting like that you mentioned um, nighttime breathing and so, parents should really be looking at their kids and to hear what, what's going on when they're asleep, right? A lot of times we're just so exhausted. We're like, oh, they're asleep. And then we just like make a beeline out of their room. And that's probably like the end of it. But just listen um, to, to hear whether there is snoring or whether there is mouth breathing, right? Yep. And look to see what those lips, where those lips are. And if they're sucking their thumbs too, that's also a, usually a little bit of a, or fingers or, you know, some sort of a, if they still need a pacifier or something in their mouth. Um, we're all absolutely right when we say it's kind of a soothing mechanism, but it's, it actually is posturing, the, they're posturing their own jaws into a position where their airway is supported behind their lower jaw there. You know, the, the, the lower jaw is attached to the tongue and the back portion of the tongue is the front portion of the airway. So if we're putting something in our mouth that we're opening it and bringing it down and forward slightly, that's likely the soothing mechanism that our, our kids might be demonstrating to us without being able to say it's because I can breathe better. You know, it's yeah. hard to well, say those exact words. Yeah. yeah. What is actually causing that, that airway to be obstructed? Good question. It could be, it's still, it could be a little different for everybody. Okay. So if we start at the tip of the nose, I mean, right here on the nose, on our face, that little curl that we have at the edge of the nose is the yeah. external portion of the internal nasal valve. And that alone can be an obstructive point. And usually if you just pull the nostrils apart a little bit, you can tell, like if you feel like you get more air in there, when you pull your nostrils apart a little bit, um, then likely we'd consider that a point of obstruction. If you open the front door and you get better, better breeze through there, then it, yeah. it counts as something that's obstructed. Yeah. And then as we go a little further in, that's where the septum begins and the turbinates are there and the turbinates can be inflamed. The septum can also be inflamed and it can also be deviated. It's, it's a very simple, like if it's straight, it's straight. If it deviates from being straight to deviated septum. Um, in the turbinates, there could be air pockets um, and then you keep going a little further towards where the nose and the throat meet, um, adenoids can be up there um, and those can be um, inflamed and cause an obstruction to the airway. And tonsils, um, if you go down the throat a little further, can be down there. And um, th if those are inflamed, they're competing for airspace as well. Now, what's all next to that is the tongue. And where does the tongue live? In the mouth garage, <laughs> you know, the upper and lower jaws. So if we have any crowding, in our, you know, if our upper and lower jaws um, are underdeveloped, either or, or both upper and lower jaws, um, if they're underdeveloped, then the tongue doesn't have anywhere else to go in that little garage of, of its to, um, to, to exist without 
um, have, having to, to use the airway space to, to exist. Um, but how do we get crowded teeth in the first place? That is also from a breathing struggle. If we're mouth breathing, even part-time, then our tongue is staying low so that we can breathe over it, right? And then our lip and cheek pressures are constantly against our upper and lower jaws. And if we're little, we're, we're children trying to develop, then we're preventing that development of bigger upper and lower jaws with the lip and cheek pressures and the mouth staying open so the air can go through it. So that's where the malocclusion occurs, where the bad bite occurs or the crowding. Um, and I don't want to say that spacing is, um, is, any, is much better because excessive spacing can actually show a tongue pattern of pushing those teeth out um, to flare slightly. So you can see spaces between the teeth that allow, um, where, so the tongue is, is going away from the airway out towards the teeth in order for us to be able to breathe better. So, so much in the mouth, so much is it, it gives us hints of our airway issues. So it's not just our sleep breathing, like I had said, but we look at the, um, the, uh, dentition is there wear and tear on the teeth. So, Grinding and clenching is actually a response to um, a struggle to get um, to get air. When our body perceives a higher concentration of carbon dioxide over oxygen, then it triggers our chewing muscles to activate because our brain's trying to get our tongue out of our, um, you know, from obstructing our airway. So we start moving that around at the expense of enamel and bone and gums and gingiva. So all of that starts like it, we can we can see that as little hints of. Um, of airway struggles as well. Yeah. And to even further that, <laughs> we, another way we can discover um, if we have airway issues um, is, our, is our body pain. Um, if we have an obstruction anywhere along our air passage from the tip of the nose to the base of the throat, what we'll try and do is position ourselves with our head more forward of our spine so that we can breathe better. Just like a garden hose, we're trying to unbend it and open that flow. So we put our head more forward. Now each inch that our head is forward adds an extra 10 pounds of weight to our head. And our jaw has to carry that. Our neck, every single vertebrae, our shoulders, our hips, knees, ankles, toes. We've shifted our center of gravity more in front of us now. And you know, if we're upright on our feet, our small feet relative to how tall we are, then we have a balance issue, right? So we try not to fall forward. This is all like little micro um, uh, compensations that we do, but we end up trying, having to recruit other body parts so we can stay upright. And that puts a tax on all of our, you know, not maybe all of our struggles, structures, maybe some structures, maybe we're predisposed to some because you know, but that's where we can learn to. When I hear about migraines or jaw pain, headache, neck pain, um, undiagnosed pain of the head and neck, ear congestion when it's not an ear infection, ear pain when it's not, I mean, all sorts of things, replacing ear tubes, tubes in the ears over and over again, sore throats. I mean, all sorts of um, structural and systemic issues can really lead to, lead me to, you know, creep right back up to the origin. And I end up pointing at the nose so frequently. It's breathing. It's, this is just mind blowing to, to think of, you know, how we, how often we kind of just ignore such an important um, part, right? We talk about all like just basic, like body pains. We never think of going back to breathing. We never think about postures, um, being something that we're, you know, overcompensating for 
maybe not, you know, having a clear airway. It's, it's just, mm -hmm. it, and then in teeth grinding, like I see so many of, of my clients um, and, and kiddos who have like autism or even like anxiety when they're sleeping at night, the parents are always complaining that they're grinding their teeth, like to the point where you can hear it. It's really yes. loud and like, you know, it almost scares the parents about what's going Absolutely. on. Um, and it just to think of that, it has a, well, it has an answer and it has a connection back to, to breathing. Yes, absolutely. And when people notice that grinding, um, you know, it, both adults and children alike, they, you, it's more of a head scratcher with kids because how could kids be so stressed? Because we always say, oh, they're under so much stress. And I never actually disagree. You know, maybe they don't have the work and financial related stresses that adults have, but there's no higher stress to the body than a struggle to take the next breath, a fear, a threat of not being able to breathe. So it is the ultimate stressor, but they won't be able to say it's about work or relationships or anything like that necessarily, but it really is stress related. And it's a, and it's a big window. If a parent is, is recognizing that in their, um, in their child, it's a, it's a very, um, clear glimpse into um, a, a, which should be pursued as an airway evaluation. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it a lot harder working with children is that they're not able to express any of the pain exactly. or any of the discomfort that they're having. So they're never, they will never walk up to you and say, oh, mommy, I'm stressed or that, you know, mm -hmm. I can't really breathe properly because they don't really understand what's not normal. Whatever is mm -hmm. happening with exactly. them is normal. Exactly. And then you're right. You're absolutely right. Kids have a very hard time saying it, but if you're a, a child who finally or doesn't ever get to say it, or no one ever asks, you become an adult who only knows what you know as well. You know, so I, I, I share, I kind of share that information with with patients at every single age. And um, I used to be surprised when adults didn't quite understand that, but now it makes a lot of sense to me just because of that exact same situation. They just don't know. They only know what it's like. They've only been on the planet in this body for however long, and they just don't know how to say. In fact, they look at mom when I'm seeing them for consultations. And, um, you know, if they say they have headaches or something, mom says, you have headaches. And they look at mom and go, you don't, <laughs> you know, like it seems normal, right? It's just, it, it, it's something that, um, that's all they know. It's all they've ever known. So, yeah. um, yeah. And so how, how can parents really, um, identify a lot of these things because de dental visits are something that are very uh, normal that and routine that we do right with our kids as early mm -hmm. as a year old right we were supposed to be in a dental chair at least once before then but to come and see an, an orthodontist or you know someone like you how when would that happen that's a, another really good question. And um, I, I, as an orthodontist, um, I'm, I'm not like other orthodontists. Unfortunately, this wasn't taught in school. So it is a bit of um, a challenge to find someone who has this training right now. It's getting faster and faster where people are learning more and more. It's eventually going to be, I can't imagine it not becoming the most obvious standard of care. It's, yeah. you know, like the world is round. It's not flat anymore. And so I have a feeling people will figure it all out. It's going to be the standard of care. But in the meantime, it may be a challenge to find someone. So I would definitely interview both dentists or dental offices and orthodontic offices alike to see if they, um, have had any training in airway. Um, it's, it, they'll, they, either they will or they won't. And so they'll know how to respond to you when you ask about that or looking at their websites. Um, but, you know, if you're suspicious of 
yourself or a family member having an airway issue, it's something to pursue at that time. Like, you know, you've, you've made it this long. You're going to be like, don't rush to the car and go to the emergency room or anything, but do start the the ball rolling in a pursuit of um, finding the origin of that. Because, um, it, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, I use another analogy of like, if you see a fire, do you watch it and see if it's going to put itself out or, you know, you know, you handle it right away. It's likely going to become something that is, um, bigger than you want to handle later. So I, I, I say the same thing when you discover a breathing issue, start the process of, of putting out that fire, so to speak. And, and, um, and, and, you know, just, just talking to your community as well as online groups, as well as, um, like I said, your local practitioners um, to, to, to zero in on someone who is, uh, uh, has the training um, in, in your area. And, and it's, if not right in your area, it's worth the travel. I gotta say, like, it's, it's really not, you want to just take the convenience of going to the, you know, corner, um, uh, shop, so to speak to, to, because of convenience, um, it's really worth the travel. Yeah. And so what kind of changes have you seen with, um, you know, the kids and, and the adults that you work with, right. When they do, um, work on their airway issues. Yes. How, how is it transformed? Okay. Well, different for everybody. Certainly it depends on, um, if they have have any symptoms, I'm always looking for symptoms to resolve. So the obvious headache, jaw pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, I have been very surprised with, um, you know, with the relationship to posture, okay, people who come in for sleep breathing or headaches, or, you know, something head and neck, um, yet they've been using a cane their whole life, because their toes were turned in their whole life, for example, and they put, you know, parents had to put their feet in shoes that were nailed to a board to hold their toes up, right, you know, like old school ways of correcting, um, bony issues or growth and development um, struggles. Um, well, this particular person I'm thinking about, um, she's in her 60s, I think. And after, of course, her headaches and her breathing improved, she was very pleased to say that she no longer needed the use of her cane. Oh she's my walking like that for the first amazing. time in her life without AIDS. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That was one really like, that's a wow. And then um, certainly, the, the the symptoms like I was saying kids sleeping better breathing better doing better in school um, little behavioral changes that can make a really big difference like less anger around the house less um, frustrations in school better uh, attention um, sleeping through the night um, let's see snoring just plain old noise like making the noise and if, whether or not people can feel a difference with that yet there is a remarked um, no, a noticeable change in the in the ease of breathing. Um, um, another one that's a good one is um, oh, it's just it's the tip of my tongue. I'll remember too, but because there's so many wonderful things that are are paid. sports get better, improvement, balance. Like if they're looking to achieve better and everything, everything really does improve. And anxiety, depression, those are in, invisible, but it's something that is very obvious um sequelae to not sleeping through the night if you're if you're exhausted even though your eyes are closed and unconscious if you're not getting restful sleep because your 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 conscience your your attention is all night focused on making sure you're breathing then it's not a very restful situation you wake up irritable and um you know anxiety can ensue and and depression so there there's nothing i i can't say isn't possible, you know, when you, when you start breathing 
um, as, as your body is designed to breathe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you talk about sleep and, you know, we're having more and more children now have anxiety and be diagnosed with things like depression or um, with, with neurodevelopmental um, disorders. So like ADHD or ADD, or just not having a lot of like, you know, um, just having mood issues or just being very, very angry. Um, and, and so the importance of sleep, like you said, like it's, it's huge, right. Um, to be able to have restorative sleep. And so like you mentioned, they sleep, but they're actually not getting what they really need. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there's light stages of sleep and deep stages of sleep. And if our body's perceiving a struggle to breathe, we're not going to allow ourselves to get into a deep, like paralytic stage of sleep where we might not be, our body would be in fear of not taking the next breath. So we stay at lighter, lighter. We have um, what are called arousals, which are actually, um, we don't actually become conscious, but we're getting closer to it. And those are really taxing on our heart and uh, you know, our entire systemic um, process during sleep. So yeah, it's exactly right. You can be asleep. People actually can sleep for 14 hours and still wake up unrested. So that is also, you know, something else to consider a flag. If you're, if you're, Oh, I can fall asleep. No problem. I have no trouble sleeping is what I, I can fall asleep like that. But if it's full apnea and um, tossing and turning struggles to breathe, then we're, you know, it's really not that effective and there's um, invisible taxes that are happening on our system. Yeah. Um, even if you're not in any pain, yay, hooray, you're not in any pain. You don't have to be in pain if you have a sleep issue, but usually if you, um, um, have pain, there is something related to breathing if it wasn't an obvious trauma. So it's worth the pursuit. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you were saying that I just, um, a few days ago, I was talking to a mom who she said she's a first time mom. And so her child every day when he woke up, he just woke up angry and cranky and this is like a small baby and she didn't know if it was normal or not and so her question to every, to me was is this okay like my kid is always crying when he wakes up and like when you're talking it just makes sense to me it's like he's not getting enough sleep or or restorative sleep or maybe he's not he's got breathing challenges or something like that right it is possible. Absolutely. I mean, obviously without seeing them or anything like that, but I would ask mom, you know, were there any troubles with latching, you know, any feeding issues? Cause um, if we have uh, those freedoms, like a tongue tie or a real, uh, like a tight freedom underneath our lip or even along our cheek area, that can be um, prohibitive of being able to, uh, to feed. Um, and, and that can also be, and that's, a, it can be another hint once again at the struggles to breathe. So I, it, it, and look at, is the baby mouth breathing during sleep? I mean, little things like that. Certainly, um, it's not an orthodontic problem just yet, but it would be something that, you know, um, I, I would, I would be looking for a, a pediatric, um, um, ear, nose, and throat physician who, who really understands the, the breathing um, importance, you, you know, understands the nose. The nose is the most important organ in the body. <laughs> oh, for yeah. sure. I'm, I'm totally sold on that now. But one thing yeah. that you did talk about was um, lip and tongue ties, because we're seeing that a lot more now um, with kiddos, and especially with their ability to, to latch and then later on to feed. So we're like, oh, our kids are really picky and they're not eating. But like, if you just go back and see there there is high, whether it's the tongue right. or the lip. And so how does that Absolutely. play in? Okay, great, great question. So um, 
similar. So it's not just about whether or not they can feed. All right. So that's definitely like one of the first things that doctors will be looking at. But also when we're learning how to do a um, swallow pattern, for example, like when our, so the tongue is the muscle is the strongest muscle in the body relative to its size. So even at rest, it's stronger than um, lips and cheeks, for example. All right. So that's where we were talking about the malocclusions, the underdevelopment of the jaws. But similarly, if we're the, the proper tongue swallow pattern um, would be encouraging the upper and lower jaws to grow um, to their ideal. And if they're growing to their ideal, there's enough room for the tongue, there's enough room for the teeth and the roof of the mouth is the same bone as the floor of the nose. So we're creating a bigger nasal airway passage with that as well. Um, if there is a frenum attachment underneath the tongue that's holding on real tight, not really giving the, the full range of motion that the ideal, um, the tongue would ideally have, um, then then the tongue posture stays low by force. Not maybe, you know, maybe there aren't obstructions in the airway, but if the tongue posture is staying low, then a malocclusion can occur from that as well. So that can be related. Also, it can be tight. It can be something that is an actual pull, like a fascial type of pull in our, um, in our um, midline right there. And that um, can, have a, can have an effect on our um, whole body comfort um, as well. Um, so not just for growth, and development, but also from our comfort. And if we are, um, as an orthodontist, correcting these bites, creating ideal um, sizes of the upper and lower jaws, um, then we're um, then we're creating a an opportunity for um, that to maintain as well. If we're releasing that freedom, okay, during orthodontics, we've made everything really big. Now we've created enough room for the tongue to develop that ideal swallow pattern. The freedom has been released. They pra we practice doing those um, patterns. Then we're actually helping our new um, position of our teeth stay where we just put them, whether, you know, child in orthodontics, adult in orthodontics, um, or trying to avoid orthodontics to begin with and just doing muscle uh, and breathing exercises to prevent the need for me or any of my colleagues. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're talking about that, I just, I, it just makes me think, you know, when we're, do, when we are doing a lot of like orthodontic work, if, if they're not very careful about the airways, or if they're not very well versed about like the importance of the airway, can that not cause a lot more trouble or it could? Yes, ma'am. Exactly right. If we're not aware of what we're working with, with the upper and lower jaws and moving teeth, it's really like, we were just, honestly, we're taught in school that they should be straight and next to each other. They have to fit together like this or else you'll get problems. Well, that's not always the case. Okay. So if we, but so if we're, if we're treating um, to that, we want to make sure that the entire package is completely addressed from beginning to end because we can create issues. It's controversial. And there's some papers that say that there is an issue with taking teeth out and some say that there isn't. So I'm not going to give necessarily an opinion on that for, you know, because yeah. I, there, there's data and I don't want to say necessarily anything wrong, but the theory is if we're taking um, teeth out to make room instead of making jaws bigger, then the residual space we have left over, um, we're actually closing in the garage for the tongue even further. So yeah. always looking to maximize um, the space in the upper and lower jaws and, and make sure that we're in all dimensions, even vertical. Um, we're, we're looking to make sure that we're putting, we're, we're, we're allowing our patients to be in the best breathing position. So if we know our starting point by identifying airway issues, then we know what the end point is going to be. So it gives a more predictable 
um, processed um, just right from the very beginning, which as, as a orthodontist, that's, that's, I like that. Yeah. I like knowing what my endpoint should be. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And you, so you mentioned um, a while ago about doing breathing exercises and for parents mm-hmm. to do those, just to mm-hmm. get those muscles going. Mm-hmm. What would that, what would that be like? Where can parents get resources like that from? Sure. Well, um, th- definitely looking up myofunctional. M-Y-O is muscle and functional, obviously, is muscle function. Um, so those exercises becoming more and more popular. So there should be um, some people in your area, wherever you might be, that are starting to um, um, become experts in those types of exercises. But something you can do easily at home um, on YouTube or um, buying, a, there's, a, there's a Buteco breathing method. And I have a favorite book and a favorite um, um, uh, practitioner, Buteco practitioner, Patrick McCown. I'm sure you're familiar with him. He wrote The Oxygen Advantage. And um, his, his, he has some exercises in the books. This is more like training to use the nose, whereas myofunctional will be training to use the lips, cheeks, and tongue. So certainly the combination would be ideal, but I would start with the basics of getting to the nose to be the most ideal um, to, to be the, the most used uh, breather. And you can find that in the Oxygen Advantage book um, or go to YouTube, put in the Oxygen Advantage and he'll walk you through some of those exercises. And you can, you can quantify, which I love that about his process is you'll get a baseline with the, of, of a little test that he does. It's called a body oxygen level test, the Bolt score. And then um, you do a few exercises and you can see that your score will actually improve over a week or two quantifiably with numbers as well as the way you feel. Yeah. So it, it, it's rewarding in that way. So I highly recommend just checking that out as a very basic. Yeah. That's just, I think I'm going to do that right after we get done. (laughs) But another thing I've seen a lot of um, people try and and swear by is lip taping, right? When they're sleeping at night. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Great question. So I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, If our body is comfortable using our nose to breathe, you know, um, it's a, it's a good diagnostic way just to try taping your lips together and see if you start struggling, just hanging around the house kind of thing. If you notice that you, you feel an urge to take that off, you know, those are hints that you may be using your mouth more than you're aware of. So that's a good, you know, daytime experiment, but nighttime, um, I really do like it. Um, and, and, and to stay on the Patrick McCown, um, um, subject real quick. He actually has developed a tape, which I think is actually brilliant. It's an open rectangle that goes around the lips, which in, because of the side part of that rectangle, it keeps your lips together, but it's open in your lips in case you need to open up for an emergency sip of air (laughs) through your mouth during sleep. You know, you want to, you want to breathe period, but, um, this is, these are good diagnostic tools and little training methods, but I believe in, in mouth taping. So, so if you can recognize in patients who may, um, or people who might not be able to close their lips together at rest, if you just, you know, tell every muscle in your face to relax, they're, they just might be apart from each other from, you know, obviously, um, genetics, what mom and dad look like, but, um, but also if there is a divergent growth pattern, if they're, if their upper and lower jaws are kind of tall, so to speak, um, then the, then the, the soft tissue is farther and farther apart from each other. So that could be something that's helpful, but keep in mind, why are they, um, in that divergent pattern to begin with struggles to breathe. So we don't want to, we don't want to tape anyone's mouth who really truly cannot use their nose safely. So it's, it's a good diagnostic tool. And if you start feeling safe using it for sleep, um, 
then then proceed with excited caution. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when I think of that, and I think of um, people with sleep apnea, right? Like, and how they just come out of arousal. Um, they get aroused when they need to breathe, right? When they yeah. just haven't been breathing for a while. Something like that, a tool like that might be not what they should be going for right now, right? Till they at least don't address that. Exactly, exactly. So um, if there's a suspicion of apnea, it's a, it's a good idea to have, you know, to be evaluated. Um, ask questions. If you are listening to this and going in for a CPAP eval or a, an apnea evaluation, ask questions. Because the most common diagnosis is obstructive sleep apnea, um, less common than central sleep apnea. And um, by definition, obstruction, obstructive means there's something in the way. So we should identify what that is because the next step, the, the sleep physicians are trained and this is the gold, this is the standard of care right now, which is, is good for a Band-Aid, I believe, but really um, we should be, we should be um, I think, giving the CPAPs as a last resort. You know, if, if they need it during the treatment for, you know, to breathe tonight, by all means, please. But um, finding the obstructions in obstructive sleep apnea, doing the best to make the, um, give the body an opportunity to breathe for itself before before we go to a man-made machine with a mask strapped on our face as tight as possible so the air doesn't squeeze through. And that actually has a pressing effect on our bones and our jaws, which ultimately can move our teeth in an unfavorable airway direction, our teeth and bones. And so we just pursue not using the CPAP as best you can, but please use it in the meantime. And if at the end, a last resort is necessary. What, what I think about that last resort is that it, it doesn't probably need to be dialed up and blown so heavy and hard into the face anymore. If the nose is working as close to ideally as possible. And likewise, um, the, the throat portion is um, prevented from collapse. Sometimes an oral appliance that um, a specialist can make uh, can help with that throat portion of the airway as well. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's also kind of important to, to recognize that it's not just adults that have sleep apnea, right? Kids are also struggling with that. And so, like you said, like their bones are so malleable. And if you're going to strap that on, it's yes. going to cause so many issues with that. Exactly. Exactly. So if you're, if you're in that situation, um, you know, wonderful, your child's going to be breathing tonight, tomorrow, you have your CPAP, but please pursue treatment to get the body to work and breathe the way that it's supposed to breathe without that, um, that support. Um, it is a good band-aid. Please pursue getting the body to develop, to, um, to, to breathe for itself more ideally. Yeah. yeah. And that's orthodontics and, you know, um, development, right? Yeah. yeah. And I love that. That's kind of going back to the roots of, of biomedical health, right? Go back to the root cause and, and see really what's going on. And, and that's not just only for sleep apnea, it's probably all the things we've spoken about, go right. back and see what that is and get the help that you need for that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Be you know, persistent, I, advocate. Yes. Ask questions, question your own breathing, check it out, pursue it. It's, it's no joke. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I haven't had so many aha moments as I've had today with you. So this has just been such a delight. I, I've, I've really, really, I think I've learned so much today. So this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. So generous with all of your information for all of us. This has been amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you 
so much for having me. Again, I'm so honored to be a part of this and you know, be able to share this message. And congratulations to you on your pursuit of, of informing everybody possible. And listen up, everyone. She's got it right. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find this show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.